You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, so if you're not listening to us live today and you're listening to us in one of our recorded archive recordings this weekend when it's supposed to rain, I forgive you. (laughs) It's a gorgeous day out here in Pacific Northwest. This is the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. Boy, that's a a mouthful to get out. West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And uh, we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And you've got the Bose Nose Show where we talk about all things Lane County, Oregon, national, world, you name it, any topics, fair game. If you call into the show, you can control the topic at 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and you can control what we talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. If not, you get to talk, listen to what I want to talk about, and I've got all sorts of things on my mind today. Of course, today is June 6, which means it is the 44th celebration, uh, no, 64th celebration of D-Day invasion in Europe, and I always kind of have to um think of my father-in-law on d-day a little bit of course june 4th is his birthday so you know he turned um 19 two days before d-day and one of the, and he actually participated in d-day southern france because he was actually in a division 36 division which was uh fighting down in Italy and then up through southern France, uh, actually fought in, in North Africa too, but he didn't enter the war until 1943. Um, so, you know, he's, he, he always says that, that the D-Day news actually stole the news uh, of the day, which was his division. In fact, some of his units were the first ones in Rome uh, on June 6th, and that never really quite made the news, the, the, the liberation of Rome. <laughs> Because D-Day covered it up, and then of course, you know, he he tells people he participated in D-Day, and people go, oh, you, you know, which beach were you on? Omaha, Gold, you know, uh, and uh, he's like, no, D-Day, Southern France. They got, they go, there wasn't a D-Day in Southern France. It's like a lot of people just don't understand that D-Day was a reference to the actual day of of, of a amphibious landing, and there were D-Days all over the place and lots of amphibious landings in World War II. Um, and in fact, his unit, he came as a replacement after they got shot to hell in in Salerno doing D-Day of Salerno, which was the jump over from Sicily when they did, there was a D-Day for Sicily um, when they invaded Sicily. And in fact, then there was a D-Day for Anzio where they tried to jump around some of the German resistance and that Anzio beachhead got uh, blockaded and his unit got um, put in there and uh, was part of the breakout of Anzio uh, in the middle of the night going up the back of the mountain. If you've ever read many books about about the uh, Italian campaign. Um, so it's kind of always interesting, you know, what made a big movie and sometimes what's been repeated in everything from Band of Brothers to The Longest Day. People all know about that, but you know, very few people think about there was a D-Day in southern France and the fight up through the Vosges Mountains and uh, into uh, southern Germany. In fact, uh, his unit was liberated one of the first concentration camps to be liberated in uh, in uh, southern Germany. Uh, 
which was horrified from the descriptions he gives he's he's told me about um so interesting to be talking to you all on d-day today uh but that's really not what we talk about too much uh, history here on on the bo's no show although i love history uh, probably why i ended up getting involved in politics because politics has so much to do with what happened in history um which kind of gets me to some other pieces of news and i know i i in my promo for the show, I talked a little bit about uh, the town hall of Santa Clara, Beltline Road, uh, side by sides on county roads and whooping cough. And we'll get to all that stuff, but I, I want to jump in with something um, that I kind of didn't list, but has been on my mind because I've actually been working on a response editorial. But there is an editorial in the Register Guard yesterday by a group of folks, um, which first of all started out with. Um, taking a quote of mine out of context and even not even quite accurately um, describing what I what I said, which was that there, according to the, the data available from DEQ, there have been no detections of herbicides um, used in forestry at the eWeb intake uh, from the Mackenzie River. Uh, and that, that, that statement still holds true by the data. And they went on to talk about sampling other places in the McKenzie River that did have DTECs, but that's not what, my, what I said. Um, but the, the overall editorial these folks put in there was just a bunch of fear mongering that somehow or another, first of all, they referred to them as forestry herbicides, which there is really no such thing. Every herbicide used in forestry, most of them are available to you, the homeowner, to buy at Jerry's. Uh, to, to use in your yard. The few that are commercial grade, you know, high concentration type um, herbicides that aren't available to the regular homeowner are also used in agriculture. They're not specific to the use in forestry. So it's kind of um, a misnomer, they, they, their title to their, and they repeated that term several times in their um, opinion piece that the forestry herbicides were detected, forestry herbicides, or they didn't test for forestry herbicides. There's no such thing as forestry herbicides. They use that term purely to try and make them sound more evil and more scary in some ways. You know, the things that they use uh, to control vegetation to uh, allow uh, young Douglas firs to outcompete the Himalayan blackberries and scotch broom, which are invasive species, um, are the same things you use, or even say a greenskeeper uses out in the uh, in a golf course to control broadleaf um, uh, weeds, and also what you might use in your backyard to get rid of blackberries yourself or poison oak. So it's uh, kind of one of those things where they tried to make it sound really scary and the actual data, and if you went to the actual reports that they tried to make reference to that eWeb put out, this 2017 eWeb document they referred to, which was actually um, the eWeb um, source protection plan that was put out that year, uh, the water source, drinking water source protection plan, the actual document says that they will, that for that um, water coming off of forested watersheds, even if they're industrial forests, you know, that are being commercially, privately owned and commercially harvested, and there's use of chemicals there, is their highest quality water, and that the uh, risk of chemical pollution in those watersheds is lower than any other areas. Of, of the Mackenzie watershed, because agriculture and urban runoff has a far higher concentrations of herbicides and, and has a, uh, more chemical constituents in it and has more frequent detections of it than you get from industrial forests. So it's kind of one of those things where the, the, the opinion piece was written cherry picking some data and not putting it in reference to other data to make it sound like forestry was this huge risk to Eugene's drinking water supply, when actually the biggest risk to the drinking water supply is the Thurston neighborhoods in Springfield and the urban runoff from there. 
by far urban runoff has the highest amount of chemical con uh, pollution in it, and by far the, the greatest number of herbicides and pesticides. And uh, looking at the data, things like DEET were present in 100% of the samples that were done from that urban watershed. So you don't you don't see DEET coming out of the uh, um, Weyerhaeuser land or uh, Seneca Jones land or you know other other commercially harvested forest. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just one of those things where it it's frustrating to watch them uh, take out of context and and misconstrue a quote of my own and then then create this false narrative that there's something called forestry herbicides, which are worse than all the rest of the herbicides used. And, and, and the other thing they don't mention is in the state of Oregon, forestry only uses 4% of the herbicides that are used in all of Oregon. The rest of it's used in agriculture and by homeowners and, and uh, commercial landscapers, et cetera. It's, it's not the forest industry that's out there using a lot of herbicides. So the real risk really comes from really, you know, the, the homeowner that's not applying correctly and a lot of it's running off their land. You know, the, the, the forest industry is heavily regulated and, and watched carefully so that, you know, as the eWeb document says and the, and the fact they left out these sections when they were making, pulling their quotes out of there to make them sound square, scary, that their highest quality water comes from forested watersheds. And that you know that's really the, not where their their risk is involved. So just have to, as I work on the actual response piece, which I hope to submit to the, the Register Guard, and I hope they'll run it um, because I think it does clarify some of that. But just amazes me how people will try and um, use bits and pieces of reports out of context to make something sound so much. Um, worse than it is, and when it's really actually the safest use in the watershed. You know, out of all the things that could cause problems to EWEB, to EWEB and the City of Eugene's drinking water, commercial forestry is not one of them. The real risk, agriculture, and the highest risk is the urbanization of that um, watershed, and particularly the Thurston Hills and Cedar Flats areas because they're so close to the intake and there's very little time for, you know, warning if there is a, a spill of any kind before it gets to the intake. And, it, you know, and as we, you know, listen to the news of last week and we're back in a, a, um, a warning up in the Salem area about um, the cyanobacteria, blue-green algae as it's referred to, and the, and the uh, toxins from that particular the cyanotoxins that are getting into Salem's drinking water supply where they're asking uh, infants and elderly and folks with compromised immune systems not to drink the water. Um, you know, it's a serious thing to be concerned about drinking water source uh, protection. And uh, I'm, I'm not downplaying that, but what I am saying is we have more of a risk from other practices. In fact, one of the concerns about blue-green algae has more to do with temperature and, and the reservoirs that are upstream of Salem causing uh, the conditions that, that breed it. And also agriculture and residential fertilizer runoff into, into streams and that, that <clears throat> supplying of the nutrients, the warmer waters, stagnation in some of the reservoirs <clears throat> and backwaters may be the breeding for they haven't quite determined why they get these blue green algae blooms um i know at one point we were trying to get a congress to authorize money to study the issue um here in oregon and uh but it's really you know one of those things that kind of just demonstrates and we talked about this last week you need to have your water supply your backup water supply for yourself and be prepared to 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 go to that emergency water supply if you need to but to be worried about industrial forestry and any uh, forestry practices causing harm to your drinking water and making your drinking water unsafe is an unfounded fear. 
because the data shows there has not been um, pesticides and herbicides present in eWeb's drinking water. And uh, that's just a clear fact that's borne out by eWeb's data. And the real, the real concern really folks should have is what's Joe homeowner doing in Thurston? You know, and, and are they being careful? Because that's the, that's the greater danger to eWeb's drinking water. But I'll jump off my soapbox on, on herbicides and forestry. Uh, of course, if you want to call in and challenge me on that, feel free, 646-721-9887. And uh, we can talk about herbicides and <clears throat> forestry practices. But I want to get on to this uh, River Road Santa Clara Town Hall I participated in uh, last Thursday at the invitation of State Representative Julie Fahey. And the idea is she put this town hall together for those two neighborhoods uh, to try and get folks from the state, folks from the county, folks from the city. She had uh, somebody from EWEB and somebody from 4J there. Unfortunately, Clara Surrett, the city councilor that was going to come, uh, got food poisoning that day, so she couldn't come. And uh, but uh, Pat Farr and I were there to represent Lane County because we actually split those two neighborhoods. I have Santa Clara and Pat has River Road. But it was kind of a nice little town hall uh, out at Aubrey Elementary School. And it was kind of interesting to see what came up relative to the topics because you just kind of never know when you go to a town hall, it's whatever's on the, those people that chose to show up's mind. And it turned out somebody showed up and was really concerned about mental health and uh, kind of started kind of dominating the conversation early on, so we moved off the topic for a bit. Um, but we did talk quite a bit about um, our stepping up initiative and how we're trying to divert people from that have mental health issues from the criminal justice system and in, into the treatment system uh, and social services support systems uh, where they can get treatment versus trying to just hold these people in, in uh, jails and, and prisons uh, where they really you know shouldn't be because usually that it's behavior issue not an actual real crime issue um, with those folks but a lot of times folks like EPD or or whatever pick up somebody that's causing a disturbance they end up coming to the jail which is not a great place for somebody that's having a mental issue to go to because the lights are on 24 7 it's noisy and all that stuff so we talked about mental health a bit we also talked a little bit about uh, aging in Santa Clara and how the population of, age, of, of that area is getting older and some of the issues around aging. But probably the issue that got the most uh, emotions up and everybody got really energized and involved about was Beltline Road came up and uh, traffic and, and just the whole issues around new housing developments that are going in, yet it seems like nothing's happening with Beltline. <laughs> Why is it taking so long? And and you know what when what's happening there? Got to talk a little bit about you know we got the paving project that's going to be that's already started out there the repaving. There's going to be a little bit of improvement done at, at Delta and Beltline uh, for one of the ramps that'll make it a little bit better. But the real big project right now is currently in the environmental study phase, which is funded. And the next phase, the actual construction phase of that project, doesn't have funds identified yet, but it's kind of beyond uh, the windows of the current funding plans. Uh, as as we look at you know the, the um, two year and the, and the two year uh, state improvement plan plans that they call STIPS, um, state transportation improvement plan, I think is what it's called. Um, so that uh, that's it's really kind of beyond the next two years for that to get funded. So we will have to find funding for that project. And it's about a $260 million fix for the whole thing to really fix Beltline. So we had a lot of discussion about Beltline and how to fix that and some discussion about problems on River Road and traffic in general and an increase in uh, you know houses being built and all that stuff. But at the same time, there's concern expressed about the price of housing and, and all those issues, and it, we kind of got mixed in between with this aging population discussion somewhat as we started talking about accessory dwelling units and, and the ability for people to 
age in place. And I actually had a citizen point out to me that they don't like to refer to it as aging in place. They like to talk about living in place because uh, they don't like that, that that term. So I have to start using that. One of the things that was interesting was the whole discussion around how um, you know the, the the idea of single family housing subdivisions have changed American culture, and also the changes in concerns about children's safety and everything has made people more focused on their backyards, where they're living in their backyard, and and they're they're. They're, they want their kids in their backyard where they can watch them and see them and make sure there's nobody, you know, no predators and everything else. Whereas when I grew up, everybody lived in their front yards, more or less. And the, the cul-de-sac was like the common playground. I mean, we, you know, we played wiffle ball <laughs> in the cul-de-sac and, and, and tag football and things like that. You know, we'd have to stop and, and when a car came and, and let the car go by and all that stuff, everything happened out in the street. And it was multiple kids from multiple houses from a block away and stuff like that. But the parents were kind of focused out the front door and living on the front porch. And that's kind of changed in America over the years to where people are living in their backyards. And, and I think one of the things that's going to help folks that are aging in a, in a community or living, I, I should say, in a community and wanting to stay in place is that people get more focused back on their front porch. And, and are aware of their neighbors that might need a little help um, with their yard work or a little help, um, you know, maybe getting a ride to the doctor or something like that, or just keeping an eye out for your neighbor and, and developing that, that community sense um, about watching neighbors. One of the things that can also help, we talked about, were our accessory dwelling units and how that will offer an option to bring a caregiver in that might be living in the accessory dwelling unit or in the reverse, have the, per the senior move into maybe the accessory dwelling unit that might be all on one level and uh, built um, to handicap standards and all that as far as bath accessibility and have the the uh, the children maybe take over the, the larger house and care for the scene the, the the aging parent in in the backyard accessory dwelling unit um, just some of those options that that might offer so it was an interesting town hall. Subjects kind of went all over the place. Even got into carbon and and uh, climate change and a few other things um, right at the end of the the town hall. Um, but that it was it was interesting. It's always interesting to get out there. I, I appreciate uh, Representative Fahey's idea of trying to bring together all levels of government and have a lot of people available to answer questions because. You get into those town halls sometimes if you're there, if I'm just going out for a community meeting and I may not be able to answer all the questions because I'm familiar with the county side of delivering services and the question may actually apply to the state level or city level or it might even be a school question because quite often I'll get questions about schools and education and really Lane County has almost nothing to do with that. So it was nice having somebody there from 4J. It was great having a, an eWeb board member there because we're we're able to kind of address some of these questions from all levels. So I want to thank Representative Fahey for inviting me to that town hall last uh, Thursday night. So the Board of Commissioners also talked about off-road vehicles on county roads um, on Tuesday talked about something called class four OHVs or ATVs, or I've also heard, heard them as called UHVs. Um, I, I, get, I, I always get the terms wrong. I, I've always referred to them as off-highway vehicles, which is OHVs. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the correct term is, but the, the class four are what's referred to as side-by-sides. And those are those larger ones now that you see they have full roll cages, uh, you know, uh, the, the crossover chest harness type seat belts and everything. So they're, they're really very pretty safe vehicles and they're practically a car, except for they're not a car. You know, um, they don't have all the, all the things the car normally has on it, <laughs> make them street legal, um, but they're fairly close. And the idea was to allow these side-by-sides because they're now starting to have 
side-by-side -side, uh, rallies around the country that are getting to be, be pretty well attended and allow on county roads between the city of Oak Ridge, where some of the campgrounds are for this rally that they hold up there, and some of the roads, the Forest Service roads, where they're actually allowed to, to you know, see these gravel Forest Service roads, they're legal on those. But the problem is, is just getting from Oak Ridge to those roads and the legality of that. And the state opened the door to let counties um, allow that access uh, with some statutes that were passed um, and rule changes recently. But it's discretionary for the county. So it does bring up some issues of liability for the county if we allow it. The sheriff is concerned about who's going to do the enforcement on those those segments of road, seeing he's already having difficulty um, doing any traffic enforcement as it is. So there's some issues to be ironed out about that. But I think in general, it's a good idea because these things are fairly safe and it would be some limited, you know, if we kind of identified specific roadways, the issue will be to make sure people understand it's only these class fours. You can't get on there with your um, straddle type, uh, you know, off-road rig of some kind that, that, you know, most people think of uh, running around on the dunes, some of these four wheelers, um, you know, single, single um, occupancy. They're not the same thing as the side by sides. So they'll need to be enforcement and education just to get people to understand what we're trying to legalize if we legalize it. But we're looking at possibly doing a one-year pilot out in the Oak Ridge area, and maybe if that turns out to be successful, we might be able to try and work on trying to connect uh, the city of Florence and the city of Dune City with the Dune system better. Um, side by side uh, where you don't have to necessarily um, camp in you know adjacent to the dunes or in the dunes to be able to get direct access where you might be able to actually stay in the city of Florence and get to and from the dunes but some of that's going to involve using highway 101 which is a state issue so it'll be it'll be an interesting subject interesting topic kind of wraps in tourism kind of wraps into the whole idea that the whole reason Oak Ridge is even interested in this is they're trying to sort of uh, remake their economy in Oak Ridge after the timber industry collapsed out there and they're having to try and find some way of being economically viable. And tourism has certainly become one of the ways um, Oak Ridge is trying to, to stay viable and they're, this particular industry isn't quite as weather dependent as some of the other tourist industries that bring people into Oak Ridge, such as ski season in the wintertime might bring some people through Oak Ridge. And in the summer, they get mountain biking out there. But this might kind of help them with the spring and the fall when it's kind of cool and crisp and a little bit wet. You may not want to be out on a mountain bike, but in a side by side might is, is no big deal. So um, that's kind of a, in fact, in some ways, it's kind of nice because you don't have to eat dust <laughs> if it's been raining. <laughs> so um, I can understand why they're interested in the, in the topic, but it's kind of interesting to think about why are they even trying to go here? And it's really about the whole collapse of the timber industry and the spotted owl. And there's a lot you know, a long history that goes along with that in the state of Oregon. And the fact that most of the land around Oak Ridge is U.S. Forest Service land, which has um, practically become a non-producer when it comes to um, board feed timber uh, harvested. So that you know, if you have any any opinions about side by sides, uh, you can give us a call here. If you want to talk about Beltline Road, mental health, aging populations? You know, we got all sorts of things. Uh, you know, chemical, you know, herbicides and forestry, we talked about early. Again, 646-721-9887 gets you into the Bose Nose Show. Just press one, that lets Robin know you want to get in on the show. And uh, we can talk about that. But I have something else I want to talk about that I'm kind of guessing might have a few people calling in. Because anytime I talk about immunization, it seems I get a wide variety of opinions. 
because it seems like it's got to be one of the most controversial issues out there. Not sure why, because scientifically the data is it's pretty darn safe. Of course, I'm going to immediately have somebody call in and tell me how it's not safe. Um, and thank you, Alex Jones, and thank you, Mother Earth Jones, or whatever that, you know, <laughs> for kind of making people so afraid of immunizations. Um, it's it just, uh, it's an issue here. State of Oregon has one of the lowest immunization rates for children in the nation, and Lane County's rate is lower than the state of Oregon's rate. So what happens? We have a whooping cough outbreak, also known as pertussis, in our school systems. And we, you know, we're starting to see some pretty serious um, levels of, of uh, at certain schools where we've actually had our public health folks have, have declared an exclusion for those that are, aren't properly immunized, which is above and beyond the normal, you know, exclusion that you have to actually get paperwork showing that, you, you know, why you're not getting vaccinated and all that, um, which they allow in the state. But this kind of gets to the point where it's a public health emergency and folks get excluded, whether they have a religious objection to immunization or not, if their kids aren't immunized, they're a risk to the general population of the school in spreading the whooping cough further than it's already going. And of course, people are going to call and tell me how the, the vaccine for pertussis isn't 100%. Yes, we know that. Um, but it is the best preventative there is, um, other than trying to separate everybody and keep them at home. Yeah. Because it is a highly contagious disease um, and can have some really devastating impact, particularly on infants and anyone with compromised uh, pulmonary systems like asthma and, and uh, or some of the elderly that might have COPD or something like that. <clears throat> it's uh, a dangerous disease. So our uh, our public health folks have been reporting to us and they gave us a, an update on uh, Tuesday, but we've, we've really um, been seeing some continued um, spread of, of this. And we're actually kind of looking forward to school getting out because that might actually help us end this current outbreak. Because one of the things that's helping it move along is the fact that we've got a bunch of kids together that have a low immunization rate that are exposing each other because <laughs> it takes a couple days for symptoms to show up after exposure. So there's actually a period when um, you're contagious, yet not showing the symptoms that would lead to somebody, um, you know, quarantining you and getting you out of the population. So um, interesting topic. I know there's some people that don't think we should be doing exclusions, especially troubling that pertussis tends to hit in the late spring, right as people are trying to get ready for graduation, if they're seniors, or there's lots of end of year activities people want to be involved in, proms and whatever else. And uh, it's really tough if a kid gets excluded. It's hard on that particular child, but that parent has made a decision not to immunize. And that's great. They've got the ability to make those decisions. And uh, I, I, I support their ability to choose not to immunize their kids. You know, that's, that's a liberty issue. I think scientifically it's misfounded, you know, that they're actually putting their children at risk because the, the whooping cough vaccine is also uh, diphtheria, tetanus, um, which are also not exactly non-harmful diseases. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where I just I kind of kind of got to wonder um, how somebody chooses not to to immunize. But you know, there's a lot of scary stuff. You know, it's supposed to cause um, autism, which has been fully debunked that there's no link between the vaccine and autism, uh, and it's just. Uh, you know, one of those things where I just I kind of shake my head and wonder, you know, when we get a complaint and you see somebody 
boohooing on TV on on KZI about how their kid got excluded and during this time of year when there's so much going on. It's like you chose not to vaccinate your kid, and there was always this risk that if there's an outbreak of a certain disease, that your kid might get excluded from the general population to protect the rest of the population. Um, so interesting topic, interesting to look at it from the public health lens because definitely has a public health impact. Um, and there's actually been some hot, a couple of hospitalizations throughout this outbreak. Um, so it's not like it's not a serious thing, not just about having a cough for six weeks, which is generally what happens with whooping cough and having a cough that literally will, you know, people have cracked ribs and, uh, and, uh, you know, lost their breath and, and had all sorts of issues with because um, it causes such um, a racking, violent cough, coughing fits. But so, you know, want to talk about immunizations, want to talk about exclusion. Um, you know, is it, a, is it a battle between everybody has a right to go to a public school because it's taxpayer supported? And they're supposed to go to public school because normally you would actually punish a parent if they weren't home, if they weren't doing some kind of certified homeschooling. We actually um, can go after parents for not having their kids in school. So it's sort of mandatory to school your kids, yet then we're going to exclude them from something we consider mandatory because of an immunization that we actually have an allowance for people not to do. So it's kind of an interesting legal topic in some ways. And, and, and when you start thinking about um, constitutionality and all that, really a very interesting thing. Kind of gets to, you know, who who's responsible for kids and, and um, might get down to a core thing, which is mandatory public school. And uh, is that even constitutional? So interesting subject. Want to talk about it? Want to talk about anything you want to talk about? You know, if you don't want to talk about forest herbicides and the fallacy of that terminology, you don't want to talk about Beltline Road or mental health. You don't want to talk about all-terrain vehicles on county roadways or whooping cough and immunization and exclusions. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about because you control the subject on the Bo's Nose Show. Just call your host here, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner at 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and press one. So, I want to get into something completely different. And this is an audience participation thing, so I hope there's somebody out there that might actually want to call in. I had an opportunity this weekend to kind of take advantage. Um, somebody gave us a gift certificate to King Estate, and uh, recently, you know, my wife and I celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary back on May 29th, um, and we decided we'd also go out to King Estate this weekend. We got this gift certificate and bring a, a couple of our friends that live down in the Lorraine area, pick them up on the way. I'd never been to the Ale Song uh, tasting room there for the Ale Song Brewery that's adjacent to King Estates right there at their entrance. So we went there first just to taste some of the beers because Richard and Carol had been there, our friends. And uh, it was interesting, Ale Song, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big microbrew fan and they have a kind of a, a niche in the microbrew market that they do barrel aged beers where they're aging their beer in everything from wine barrels to rum barrels to whiskey barrels and they're mixing and matching you know different types of beers with different types of barrels and different lengths and mixes and stuff like that really interesting beer uh, some of it just wasn't in my taste some of it was really good. Some of it was really strong. They had a couple beers that were 11%. Um, so you got to be careful that you're only tasting it, not having a full beer. Um, but really a nice setting though. 
you're sitting just a little ways up the hill from the valley there off the territorial highway. Uh, this time of year when the weather's gorgeous like this, it was just pretty and a really nice start to the evening. From from there, we drove up to King Estate and had dinner outside at King Estate. And, you know, you just can't beat King Estate with a stick as far as just being a beautiful place, uh, gourmet food, good wine, um, just was a, a pleasant evening. And, and, you know, along with that, we got to ride our bike earlier in the day around some Lane County roads. It got me to thinking how much I love living in Lane County and how there's some of these great things I love in Lane County. And I just kind of wonder, what are some of your favorite things about living in Lane County? What are some of your favorite things to do? Or what do you consider what's great about Lane County? We all, always, a lot of times on the Bo's Nose Show, we're, we're talking about some controversial issue or problem. I'd like to hear, what do you like? What are your favorite things about Lane County? I love the wineries. I love the microbreweries. You know, and I get, and not that I'm a heavy drinker or anything like that. I mean, I might drink once a week, um, but I really like having that ability to go to one of those places because it's just, you know, they're nice, relaxing, a good product, somebody that takes pride in their products, usually behind the, the you know, you know, when you get to the ale song place, it's the guys that actually do the brewing that are serving half the time. Um, Kind of like showing up at Claim 52 or any other of the craft brewers around here. You may run into the actual brewers that are pouring the beer that night um, and be able to talk about their craft. You know, it just, I, I love that part of Lane County's, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the wineries and, you know, going to the wineries and getting to actually talk to the, the winery owners sometimes. King Estate's a little bit big. You don't usually run into Egg King there or the guy that's actually, um, doing the, 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 the wine there, but you will run into uh, the owners if you go up to uh, you go up to say Benton Lane or um, uh, Bennett Wineries or something like that or uh, even if you get out to Pfeiffer, you'll run into Robin, Pfeiffer, Robin and Danuta Pfeiffer uh, serving out there. Um, so just to, you know, I love that's one part of Lane County I really love. And I love cycling in Lane County. So I wonder, Robin, is there something you love about Lane County? Well, I was gonna, gonna ask you about, uh, we're getting into summer, as my allergy nose is letting me know, um, about the campgrounds up there along the coast and stuff. What's going on with those? Um, yeah, there's some really great campgrounds along the coast. And one of the things going on right now is we're actually expanding our Harbor Vista campground. So there's a little bit of construction going on around Harbor Vista right now as we get a um, sewage pump station. The city of Florence is installing there and installing sewer service that will serve the campground instead of the uh, the, the pit toilet <laughs> and all that good stuff. So there actually be um, the ability to hook up uh, at your campsite instead of having to haul to the dump site, you know, un, you know, move to the dump site uh, from your campsite there, and we'll actually be able to add campsites to Harbor Vista with the new sewer service, so we'll be able to expand Harbor Vista campground. But there's some great campgrounds, um, you know, Honeyman State Park and up and down um, the coast there. Uh, there's just some great places to camp, and the coast, you know, one of the great things about Lane County is we have kind of the dividing line between the sandy beaches of the dunes. So you can, you know, basically from Hasita Beach south, you're all, all sandy beaches in Lane County. Yet that northern portion of Lane County, as you're driving towards Yahats, we actually have the rocky cliff with uh, the Sea Lion Caves and Cape Perpetua and uh, Strawberry Hill, and where you can you know, experience that that rocky Pacific coast or the sandy dunes uh, on the Pacific coast. Um, it's a great variety that you don't necessarily get anywhere else in Oregon in one county. 
You know, if you look at uh, Douglas County, has all sandy beaches. There is no cliffs on the beach. And uh, even Coos County is predominantly sandy beaches for the northern half. You don't get into the cliffs till you get south. So um, just you know, one of those little things. I do like. Um, I do love the you know over there the the camping is available and it is some great great things you can do is to camp there and it, there's campsites in the dunes that's one thing you know you can sand camp oh. <laughs> name any other place you can sand camp you know well that's the thing is that like going to Newport for example um, you can go down to Old Town and you got the Wax Museum Ripley's believe it or not which is always kind of fascinating to go through and. Uh, and of course, you got to have the saltwater taffy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that any place you go to the coast, everyone claims their saltwater taffy, whether it's Atlantic City, New Jersey, where they claim it was invented. Yeah, actually, there's there's a store there that has the latest claim to be the original saltwater taffy maker, and it came from, uh, you know, a storm that flooded the store on the boardwalk, the old boardwalk or something, and that was how they invented, quote, invented saltwater taffy. So at least that's the story. <laughs> no, we'll or not, that, but that's the, cla that, that, the claim to fame is that, that, that Atlantic City, New Jersey is where uh, saltwater taffy got started. So, but yeah, but you can go to almost any beach on the Atlantic, any beach on the Gulf or any beach on on the Pacific in in the United States, and somebody's selling saltwater taffy. <laughs> and then you got the uh, aquarium, which is uh, an awesome place to go. And you got you got a plan to spend the day out there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, one of the things I love about Lane County, you know, if we're going to list things we love about Lane County, is especially being here in the Willamette Valley. Or I'm on the edge of the Willamette Valley in Elmira is you're an hour from all that on the coast. You know, within an hour, you're starting your coastal day. And you can drive up to Newport and all that stuff, swing back in by Highway 20 and come back down um, through Corvallis and make a big loop and, and spend the day doing that. At the same time, I can spend the day going to waterfalls in the Cascade foothills, like I did a couple Saturdays back when I had a guest up here from California um, we drove down, actually it was on a Friday, drove down outside of Cottage Grove and did Prindle Falls, Moon Falls, and um, oh, what's the other fall out there? Now I'm forgetting the thing, Spirit Falls. Spirit Falls. Yeah, and they're all fairly close together and, and, and uh, about a half mile hike in and out each direction, so about a mile hiking for each one. And uh, it was, you know, a nice day that was day drive from here. At the same time, I can jump in my car and go skiing in the Cascades in the wintertime from here. So it's like you're an hour from skiing, you're an hour from, you know, playing in the sand and in the, in the, in the surf. Um, it's just an incredible place to be that you really can't, there's very few places that have that kind of accessibility. You know, between those, those two uh, very different places to in, in recreate. The high Cascades, the Pacific Coast, an hour apart. It's just, you know, where you're an hour from each. And that's really cool about Lane County. I mean, I can spend so much time up there in the, in the high, you know, speaking of camping in the high Cascades, some of the most beautiful campgrounds there are up along 126 out there, you know, around Hills Creek Reservoir in Oak Ridge. Um, you know, they're hiking, they're hiking, camping, there's, you know, driving, camping, there's, uh, you know, you name it, there's camping up there. There's lodges, you know, you can get, you know, if you want to go over the hill into Deschutes County, um, you can get into Camp Sherman there along, you know, in uh, the Metolius River. And just some of the most drop dead gorgeous scenery there is out there with Mount Jefferson in the background and Metolius River and try your hand at catching some very smart trout on on barbless hooks as that that uh, fly fishing only 
stream that's that's very heavily fished, so the trout are really smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and also, as you know, speaking of size to see, the spruce goose is McMinnville, Oregon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Oregon's amazing, but you know, I think we, I think being here in Lane County puts you within reach of all that. Um, and that's kind of what I was kind of getting at is, you know, I got a chance to get out in Lane County, um, some of the roadways and you're, you're, you're a motorcyclist and I'm a bicyclist, but we probably love some of the same roads in Lane County, uh, such as Wolf Creek Road and Saisaw River Road. You know, what, what motorcyclist doesn't love those roads and what bicyclist doesn't love those roads just for, you know, lack of car traffic pretty twisty turny through the forest up up the big hills great overlooks you know and just a great ride uh all around whether you're human powered or motor powered you know what 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 great scenery that you're just not going to find most other places because at one time lane county was so flush with timber money we paved gravel roads that stayed gravel in most counties and that's why we've got a Wolf Creek Road that's paved and this Sayuslaw River Road that's paved. Yeah. <laughs> just some of these roads that are just spectacular and known nationwide as you get out into some of these pretty far reaches. Um, Fall Creek and, uh, and, and Upper Fall Creek and some of the roads that parallel that. Uh, beautiful rides. Whether you're on a motorcycle or driving even in a car, it's a beautiful place to go, particularly in the fall at Fall, at fall Creek um, is very pretty. As, you know, as you're in that down close to the creek and you get enough vine maple in the understory, there gets to be some pretty good color uh, coming up there if you hit it just right. Um, yeah, so it's just, I, you know, wondering anyone out there has their favorite thing to do in Lane County, 646-721-9887. Who knows, it could just be that you love to go to Ducks games at Austin Stadium and the atmosphere around that. You know, that's really, I've done it once or twice. I'm not really a big crowd scene person. So, you know, that's maybe not my most favorite thing. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's an interesting atmosphere, but that's really not my cup of tea, but it might be yours. What do you like about Lane County? What's your favorite thing to do here? If I can put out a challenge to our listeners, sure. uh, on our Facebook page on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, send us, post a picture or a comment of what your favorite place or activity in, doesn't have to necessarily be in Lane County, but in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what's your favorite thing about living here? And give us a like while you're there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like our Facebook page, because then, then you'll, you know, we'll actually show up in your feed when we have a show coming up. Because, uh, yeah, I know we may not have that many people listening live today when it is 78 degrees outside and sunny and they're predicting rain for the weekend. So I imagine folks are trying to get their lawns mowed and everything else. And so you might end up listening to us archived, which I just want to remind folks that Every Bo's Nose show lives forever on the internet. And if you want to listen to past episodes, uh, you can go to them and just click on the links on our Facebook page to the show of that week. Or you can go to the uh, Blog Talk Radio site and click on the shows through there. Uh, it's they're, they're there forever, so you don't always have to be live. And yeah. if, you, if you go to krbnradio.net, it'll take you straight to our blog talk page. We're also, all all shows on KRBN are available on iTunes, and we're now on your cell phone at player.fm. Just search for KRBN, and a lot of our episodes are there, too. Yes, yep. So we know we don't always have live listeners because uh, we see how the, the, the plays show up on, uh, on our data, uh, our background data that we get to see. So... Uh, but I am, you know, if you will go to our Facebook page, tell us what you like about living here. You know, what's your favorite thing? What are some of your favorite things? Just what do you like about living here? I mean, it could be something, uh, you know, as simple as there's not as much traffic as L.A. 
<laughs> and there's not as much traffic as Portland. Right. Well, also tell us what you don't like, like the uh, westbound Beltline over the river. But even that, put it in, pers- you know, if you really put it into perspective, I got caught in this morning's rush hour on the way to 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 work. Uh, you know, it always slows down. I I came to a standstill somewhere about the Northwest Expressway, trying to get over the river there. It took me maybe five minutes to get up to the river crossing, versus the normal one or two minutes, you know, that it takes to cover that couple miles. It's really, you know, it, it's, it's congested, but it's really not bad traffic. I mean, I know when I used to live in DC, there were times where that couple miles would have taken an hour of crawling bumper to bumper traffic. So um, I know people don't like it, but, Still, prospectively, it's nowhere near as, as a lot of other cities, including even, you know, I've had to drive into Portland at rush hour by five to try and get to downtown Portland. And I get stopped somewhere in Wilsonville on I-5 and crawl till I get past the I-205 interchange, speed up for a little while, and then I crawl again as you get close to downtown and the Twilliger curves there. Um, it's just, yeah. Well, thing the, you the problems here are nowhere near what they are in Portland, and Portland really doesn't even hold a candle to some of the big cities. Well, one of the things you pointed out before regarding uh, vehicle traffic is taking responsibility. And you know, again, going back to Westbound Beltline, if people drove courteously, courteously, don't slow down for an off ramp. You know, in other words, come to a stop, and basically, basically just. Be kind to each other. Um, I feel some of these um, slowdowns would be unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things too, where you get people that um, you know purposely weaving and out, just trying to to beat to get two or three cars further up, and it's those weaving moment, movements that actually cause backups in the first place. Exactly. And the left lane is for passing, not cruising. Yep. yep. So what you got coming up in the last three minutes or what you'd like to tell our listeners? Uh, well, in the last couple of minutes here, uh, you know, there's always time for one more call if anyone wants to call in. But um, the last couple of minutes here, I think, you know, we've got a couple of things coming up here with the commissioners. We still haven't approved our budget. We'll be adopting our final budget soon. Um, so there's still a chance to kind of lobby us if there's something you want changed in our budget and you can get to our budget online. Uh, we will be, um, looking at a few other things coming up. We we have, um, some, uh, union issues that will be coming forward to us next week. Um, maybe we'll be talking about those on the Bo's Node show and, uh, just, uh, you know, we're, continue to try and work on some of these issues around housing and, and improving the housing supply in the area. And uh, it, there's some interesting things. And, and you know, one of the interesting things that came up a little bit is this whole Comcast settlement that was announced this week. And I know that the governor was lobbying everybody to use that money against their PERS liability, but really the amount of money that's going to come to Lane County is not going to be a whole lot of money. I know the settlements for 155 million, but you start to divide that by the counties. We only got about 10% of the population, maybe 10% of the assessed value here. Lane County only gets about 10 cents on a dollar of property tax. You really get down to where it might be in the $1 million range that Lane County gets out of that settlement, which when you talk about our over $600 million annual budget, you know, it's, it, I, of course, I'm not going to say I don't want the money, but it's not going to be the end all of our PERS issues, and it's not going to be the end all of any other budget issues Lane County faces. But it will be some one-time money we're going to be getting to Lane County, and we're going to have to decide how we want to utilize that money in the next couple months or so. So that'll be something we'll be talking about in the future here um, as the county commission. But next week on the Bose Nose Show, we'll again 
talk about anything you want to talk about, and I'm sure there'll be plenty that's in the news between now and then. Who knows? Maybe there'll have been a summit in Korea by next week that we can talk about, because isn't that supposed to be June 12th? So I think our next show is on June 4th, June uh, 13th, so it would be the day after. So we might be talking about the Korean summit. We might be talking about local activities, but we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about on the Bose Nose Show because it's live. You can call in and you can control the topic. So hopefully I'll talk to you next week. Go out and enjoy that sunshine before the rain comes in and have a great week. Thank you for listening.